Welcome back to the Better Than Best Academy. Today's guest is nothing short of extraordinary. He's a brain tumor survivor turned life coach leading 10,000 to freedom. His name is Ahab. I'm saying that right, right? Ahab? Well, yeah. Awesome. Right, yeah. His name is Ahab. Now, Ahab, before we get to your story, I love to open up sometimes with this question. What will make today's conversation extraordinary? Because uh, it's just two people being open, being honest, without any filters, and actually just being genuine. I think that's always a recipe for something interesting. You know, we all have a story to tell. We all come from completely different angles. And as long as we're here and we're present and we're able to be um, open and completely ourselves, it's the only way it can go, right? That's right. I love it. It's going to be good. I, I can already tell it's going to be good. We're, we're connected through the Discord channel that we're a part of, and it's going to be a good conversation with that said if you could summarize your past your current work your life's mission and why it matters how would you summarize that well i don't know if i could summarize it but it's gonna it's, but i will totally, totally fine if you can't summarize it if, if you want to go I'm as deep as you want go for it yeah i will i will try and explain it i think finding that kind of purpose has been it's been a journey it's been a long journey i think you know my story wherever my story starts i think it always it kind of begins, it kind of begins with the illness. I think a lot of my development, I think like my life completely changed at the, at, after that point. I think there was a complete, yeah, I, that was a, you know, a definitive kind of um, starting point for me. So I think after that, there was a real, I think for maybe for the first, maybe five years, I was kind of just determined to kind of ignore a lot of things that happened. I wanted to just kind of carry on with the blinkers on. I didn't want to acknowledge anything that had happened to myself. I was determined really to live life the way I always lived it. As much as, you know, you not understand what that is at the age of 13, right? I'm going to live life the way I always, I always have done, the way that I, I'll always be the way that I, the way that I was. So it was, I guess it was kind of like a definite period of trying to just power through and push, do things the way that I'd always done. Them. And then there was, I guess, a reckoning. There was a period where I had to, well, I was, well, I guess, forced to kind of recognize uh, a lot of things that had happened. And then there was a, you know, a good maybe five year period of trying to actually figure out what that meant for myself, trying to build myself back up, try to understand what kind of what this is and what this person is now, who this person is, because it's slightly different to before. I think like, you know, when you have a physical injury, sometimes it, you know, it's, it maybe it might be a bit kind of easier to account for that. I think, okay, right. You no, know, I'm, I'm missing a finger or like, I don't know, I'm missing a limb. And then you have to find maybe a more obvious way to kind of uh, navigate that. Not that it's any easier. Uh, per se, but like, you know, you know, you kind of, you can see your limitations and then you have to kind of deal with them, right? When things were kind of changing up here, it was a whole different kind of layer of, I guess, exploration and understanding that you kind of had to go through. Kind of those lines are a lot more kind of blurred, you know, what's normal, what's not normal, you know, what's a problem or what's not a problem, you know? So it was, I guess, another five years of really just trying to figure that one out. And then once I'd kind of gone through that whole 10 year period post-treatment, that's really when I started to have an understanding of kind of what per what my purpose was and what I was, you know, what I wanted to do in my life, right? Because I think, I guess, for those 10 years, I was really still surviving. I was really still, I hadn't really found my feet. You know, I think my feet were taken from underneath me and I never really found them again until at the end of that, that 10 year period. So I think, and it, and it did kind of, it did in terms, cause we're talking about purpose, right? So yeah. I think, so the, so for me. The purpose initially was to find kind of stability. The purpose was really just trying to keep my head above water. If I could find a way to do that, 
So when I went to university the first time, so I went to university the first time, I did physics and philosophy. So I was studying that for a while. And, you know, I was still dealing with a lot of things. I hadn't, well, avoiding a lot of things. I'm not even dealing with them really. But it meant that, you know, I ended up dropping out of that. I wasn't able to keep up with kind of what I was doing. I didn't really have a, yeah, I think that I I didn't really have a center at that point. Uh, So then for me, I guess my purpose then was to try and find grounding, try and find stability. Uh, and I, I had to find that through something that was meaningful to myself because I knew that it wasn't meaningful to me, that like it wasn't going to stick. Uh, it wasn't going to be something that I, that was going to, you know, help me find my way really. So the, it, yeah, so it became, yeah, yeah, I guess finding stability. Right. Um, okay. so when I went back to university, I was looking for you know, something that had meaning to me something that was going to help me kind of, you know, do something good in the world. And I came around to radiotherapy. So when I'd started the treatment, I mean, I, I mean, it, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good time in my life. Right? And it was something that I really did ever want to talk about. It wasn't something that I, I was really good at kind of avoiding my hospital appointments. I didn't really want to talk to doctors about it. It was like kind of, you did what you had to do. Now I just want to be left alone to live my life, do my thing. So thinking that I would ever go back into a radiotherapy department was like, no, never, never ever going to do that. So to kind of do like a, three, a complete 360, come around to actually working in that profession was, yeah, something that I never really expected or never really thought I would do. But by that time, you know, I'd had 10 years since, since treatment. It kind of ticked all the boxes for me. It really kind of made sense. It gave, it gave me purpose, really, which I was lacking and which I was missing, really. So it provided me with, I guess, a path to redemption. It provided me with a way that I could go back and I could still achieve the things that I'd set out to achieve, you know, because I mean, for myself, I'd, I'd always been bright at school, always kind of expected myself to, you know, to achieve well and to do, you know, to do well, right? And that all kind of crumbled down. So, it, you know, being like a, a university dropout and like just kind of working in a coffee shop was not, you know, where I kind of expected to, to be in life. And there was no real prospects for me at that point, you know? Um, so it really offered me a way back, uh, uh, yeah, but a way to redemption in a lot of ways, uh, going back to give me an, a way to kind of, you know, s- still carry on, still go forward, uh, rebuild my life and kind of still achieve all the things I, you know, I really wanted to achieve. So it gave me that once I qualified, I mean, it, it comes with, you know, a stable career. It enabled me to like, you know, kind of stand on my own feet in a way that I didn't think was really possible. Especially growing up in London, like trying to afford a house or trying to have any kind of stability in London is kind of crazy, right? But, you know, I moved out to Norwich and I've been living in Norwich for the last seven years. And I've been able to kind of like you know, have my own place and like do my own thing. And that was, I guess, the purpose for a long time. The purpose for a long time was just to find that stability. But in a strange way, the journey really started once I'd found it. So I think like once you find that stability, it then becomes a question of like, okay, so now I'm not struggling to survive. What do I do? I've got this. Uh, I could do this for the rest of my life. I could have the same job and I could have, you know, live yeah. here forever. That's never going to be taken away from me. But now what do I do? What do I do with this? What do I do with what I have now? And I think, you know, it's then that's really when I guess that's another phase of my life kind of began, yeah. I guess, kind of looking out and thinking, okay, well, now that I found this, what can I do with it? Or like, you know, after having done radiotherapy now for, I've been working for seven years and I did three years of training. So I've been in radiotherapy for 10 years now. It was just looking at kind of, okay, so 
what's next? What do I do now? How do I, I think like, I suppose the purpose was about me initially. It was about like finding, like sentencing stability for myself. And now it's about trying to broaden that and really trying to provide that for other people. And I think that gives me more meaning. I think like, I think, you know, sometimes as a man as well, like, you know, I've, I've lived on my own. I've lived myself. I've been able to go out and do all the things that I want to do. But then I think after a certain point, you kind of realize that, you know, there's not really, I think as, as a creature, like I'm quite simple, pretty happy. Like as long as I've, as long as I've got uh, my basic needs met, there's not really much more that you need than that. And there's limits to kind of like how much you can do just for yourself. So I think the purpose right now is to try and ex now that I've been able to find that uh, kind of stability for myself to expand it out to other people. It's a really long way of saying it, but yeah, that's where, that's where we got to. For sure, man. Such a story to battle a brain tumor and then to have that 10 years of survival, really. I can't imagine what that was like for you to to be in survival mode for that long and to to like you said like the purpose was stability the purpose was to survive and that's just wild to me and it's it goes back to it's amazing how we were created as human beings to at at our core it's kind of like our our brain's job to keep us alive (laughs) And, and it's a, it's amazing how we will do whatever it takes to be alive, to stay alive. And at that, you learn that because we're in a, a society that's so much more comfortable, we've got all this technology that keeps us like really safe. Like honestly, like we're we're in houses, we're we're well fed. So a lot of times, what we get scared of, and when it comes to this idea of fears like fear of public speaking, fear of making video content. And to us, like our, our brain just sees it almost like a saber-toothed tiger or something. Like it looks, it looks at such these fears as such a like detrimental thing that can kill us and this unknown. But you literally faced something that could kill you. And, and it took 10 years to, to understand how to live with this limitation. But it was through understanding that limitation that you overcame it. And that was, it's so great. And now you, you've got this new, newfound purpose to help other people overcome their limitations and overcome their, their limited beliefs, whatever it may be. And that's, that's so interesting to me. And, and I, I love your story. I appreciate you for sharing it. And, and I'm curious. So you said you're in, so you were in, you did therapy, right? It, what, what, what therapy was that? My mic was kind of... Yeah, so radiotherapy. So radiotherapy is one of the ways that we treat mostly cancers and tumors. It's useful. So it's using kind of high energy x-rays to target tumors, essentially. So we kind of split it up over a course of treatment. So it gives you... Because it, it, whatever kind of uh, cells the treatment's incident on, it causes damage, right? So it causes cell damage to tumor cells and also to healthy cells. Oh, man. Uh, but we try and kind of shield out as much of the healthy tissue as possible. And then you have kind of breaks in between the treatment to, you know, hopefully let the healthy tissues recover whilst, you know, to, to bring in enough dose to safely treat the, the, treat the cancer or the tumor that we're treating. So it's one of the main ways that we treat cancer. So most people, when they come and have uh, cancer treatment, they'll either, they'll have some combination of surgery, uh, chemotherapy, which is like systemic treatment, uh, and radiotherapy, which is kind of more localized. And about half of all cancer patients will have 
rage therapy at some at right. some point during the journey. So we can use it to to treat to treat and cure cancers. We can use it to help with symptom control and that kind of thing as well. So we can use it for like different types of things, but it has yeah, quite a few applications. Gotcha. That's that's so interesting. And then so you're doing or you're still doing that, correct? You're still doing that and you're now life coaching as well. I am yeah, I'm building that up. So like I think COVID was a really tough time in the health sector and the health system. Sure. Especially in the UK. I think the service it's completely changed since COVID. I think there was a definite kind of watershed moment before COVID and after COVID. There were there were problems in the way issues before, but I think they've been exacerbated since. And it's just meant that, you know, things, it's really, it's not the easy, it's not really an easy place to work. It's not, a, uh, I mean, it never was, but like it, the, the terms of the pressures now, they're, they're significantly higher than what you see. And I think in some ways it was a case of progress can be quite slow and you're quite limited in sometimes what the change that you can bring. And then in the UK as well, there's a whole issue around pay because we've had like stagnating pay for the last bit over a decade. So, in, so for, for example, for my, for my profession, there's only around just over a hundred people that really qualify with my, with my qualification every year. We've got vacancy, a 10% vacancy rate across the country. We can't fill the vacancies. So in our last recruitment round, we weren't able to recruit anyone from the UK, ended up hiring somebody from Zimbabwe. She's over here now we've been training her. So like, it just kind of shows you how, what the situation is kind of like, but I think it coming coming into this has been a case, it's been really kind of eye opening. Coming online, coming into like you know, the creative space, yeah. it's really opened my eyes to a new world in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think a lot of people have a lot of frustrations, yeah. and like everything kind of seems kind of outside of your control. And I think this has been a reminder that you know there's a lot that you can do. There's a lot of value that yeah. you can, yeah. and it's I don't think there's ever been a better time. You know, me and you are, are two other opposite ends of the world right mm -hmm. we've been able to connect we've been able to grow we've been able to help each other along the way and it's kind of been strange how like i found a lot of humanity online you read you just kind of hear all the, the kind of doom stories about you know this ai generation and they're going to live with vr headsets plugged to their face and they're never going to know how it, what it is to interact with a human being but to be honest i found a lot more in some ways i found a lot more humanity online than sometimes you find in the real world yeah for sure but even in our profession it's like if you want to progress you have very narrow opportunities to do it you have to do it in a very prescriptive way and you have to compete sure. with other people to get there so sometimes you know that causes friction that causes tension mm -hmm. i'm out here online and it's like there's an abundance right yeah everybody's bearing it, it it's wild yeah it's so wild to see and just even with our discord how everyone's just helping everyone it's beautiful to see and and Again, like, and I was thinking about the the technology aspect of this too. Is we we want to totally bash AI sometimes, and we want to bash technology. But the truth is, like, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You're in the UK. It's a completely different time. Like we mentioned before, we hit record. It's in the morning, or kind of early morning for us over here in the states. And you've already had almost like a full day. And it's crazy to me that we can connect and and meet in real time. Whereas I was talking to a f some older friends of mine at this event I was at last night, 
and he had like walked away and left his phone and they didn't know where he went for a while. And he came back and they were like, yeah, but could you imagine back in the day when we didn't have phones? It was like one of those like older guys just like back. And I was like, no, I can't imagine that. Like I wouldn't know half the people that I know now. Like I wouldn't even have this potential career that I've started to grow. And it's so funny. It's so funny. Cause yeah, it's the humanity that's behind it all. Like if you see it as a tool and you use it as a tool and not like something that's going to corrupt things, you'll see, the beauty in it because you can't you you can't artificially make what we're having right now like a human to human connection like yeah you can have a tool that'll help you like be better efficient or better productive but it's that humanity aspect that like we connected we i i heard your story i emotionally was connected with the fact wow you went through a traumatic event that potentially could have ended your life and it took 10 years to overcome that and it, it is beautiful to see. And it's so interesting to me. So I'm, I'm curious. So now that you're starting this life coaching, uh, what, what inspired you and, and where do you find inspiration? I think it's just realizing how many people are suffering and how many people are struggling. So I've seen it myself. I, I guess like at work, we've had a lot of people leaving just food burnout. And I know that's something that you, you work yeah. with people first. They're going through that. But I didn't really realize the level and the extent to which people are struggling. Because I suppose, you know, especially in England, right? You put a brave face on it. You go forward, you stop a lip, you, you get on and you deal with it. But this is the first time I really saw, you know, cracks in that and chinks in people's armor. And I guess for myself, it's just because, you know, I've, you know, because I, I guess it's just trauma, right? Everybody's gone through traumatic experience with COVID or, you know, whatever it was, right? And for me, it was like I could... I think having been through a, a process of that and kind of like having to kind of like, you know, navigate your way through those difficulties beforehand, I think it just means it equips you with certain skills and certain ways that you can, you know, just be a friend to people, you know, just really um, find a way to just help other people through that journey. And I think it's like, it's, it's what a lot of people seem to be missing. It's really surprised me, like, you know, the amount of people that I reach out to and they're like, you know, they really have had, a, they've, they've really been lacking that, you know? Just having somebody to talk to or somebody that can, you, you can lean on in those situations, which is you know, just kind of sad. I don't know what it says about our society and how we're going and how we're, how we're building things. But I, you know, I really feel like it's, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like there's a, there's a change. I think that I feel like there's been a change and I feel like a lot of people are waking up to like a new reality. And I think, yeah, so for me, it was just really, it was eye-opening in, in terms of like how many people need help, but also how much I can help. I think just by providing a listening ear, and I think like even like through my through my job as well, so uh, being promoted kind of up through the ranks and like you know working in a more, more leader, me, like working in a leadership capacity, more of a leadership capacity, and then you know all of a sudden you're responsible for people, and then when you're responsible for people, you know you want to delve into kind of you know how can I help you, right? How can we make this work environment work best for you? What kind of things can we put in place? How can we you know, support you, right? When you start having those conversations, you know all sorts of things start to come up. But then you see the difference that the small things make, just kind of, you know, just by asking, just by asking questions and just finding out about the people that you're working with, it can make such a big difference. So I think that's what kind of inspired, I think it's just see, just kind of seeing it there in front of myself and actually seeing the difference that those kind of interactions can make. And I think like it just became a, it, when I, when I really kind of like boil it down and distill it down, the thing that I really enjoy about my work is that person-to-person -person interaction. So it's like yeah. coming in, so you have your patient that comes in, you don't have long with them, 
you only have maybe 10 to 15 minutes for a pro treatment. Um, but I know from my own experience that those 10 minutes can really make a massive impact. You know, myself, I, I remember the, the gratitude that I felt when I finished my treatment. And I've never, like, you know, I was young, I was, I was 13, but I'd never felt that kind of depth of emotion before. Mm-hmm. I, I remember going in, I, I took a little box of chocolates for the, the baby doctors when I finished, but like, oh, it felt so insignificant. I was like, I can't believe these people don't know what they've done for me. But, you know, and the only way I can express my thanks is through this, like, box of chocolates, which seemed like, you know, nothing in comparison, right? But I think for a lot, and then I think, you know, for a lot of radiographers as well, I wish they understood that more, understood, like, the 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 difference just those words can make, you know? And yeah. it's kind of, like, it's the smallest things that you hold on to. I know we touched earlier about the my own experience of kind of, like, being in that kind of survival mode, that fight or flight. And really it was based on just one thing that my doctor said. My doctor had said they'd quoted some statistics to me when they when I received my diagnosis. And they told me about the treatment I was going to have. So they, they so in, in cancer care it's quite common common to quote five year survival statistics. Yeah. The five year survival for the kind of tumor that I had were really good. They're like in the nineties, right? Ninety percent. Wow. So in my head it's like if I can make it to five years, I'm fine. Wow. Okay. So like for me, like until I got to that five year mark, I was like, I'm still dying. Like I'm not there until I get to five years. I need to get to five years. But that was, for him, was probably just a throwaway comment. You know, it's yeah. a statistic that he probably reveals off to, I don't know how many people. But for me, of all the things that were said to me, there must have been hundreds of conversations. That's the one that stuck into my head. And that, that framed my life for the next decade, really. Just that, that, that one sentence, it, it really um, defined the next decade of my life, you know? So I think it's just like having a, you know, grasping kind of like the power that there is in that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like you say now with the technology, like there's never been a better time to do this. You know? mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't have, so I only started in April on Twitter and like, I couldn't have predicted how much I would learn in that, in that, in that, in that, in that time space. It's crazy. There's so much information out there and there's so much to learn and it's really empowering. And I think that that's a real, that runs really counter to, I think how a lot of people feel about uh, life and work, you know, a lot of it feels completely disempowering and completely outside of your control. There's so much that you can't do and you feel kind of like, you know, you're enslaved to this kind of, well, you're kind of doomed to this life, right? There's, there's like, there's not really much scope for maneuver and you know, people are struggling, you know, no, it's difficult to kind of, you know, even afford basics for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but then what do you do? Right. And then this just seemed like, it just seemed like the right time for me to explore something where. Yeah. I could invest in myself and I could do it. And I'm, I'm using the security that I've got, right? So I've still got my job. I've cut down my hours so I can work a bit more on kind of developing this side of things. But I started while I was still working full time. And, you know, it just gives me that stability. So I I know that, you know, worst comes to worst, I can always fall back on what I do, right? And I think then I'll always do radiotherapy in some, in some form because it means something. But I think it's just having a bit more control over how big a part of my life it plays and, and, you know, able to you know do things outside of that. I think I also realized that although like, you know, it was my dream job, like I went into it with a clear purpose and uh, I really knew that this is what I wanted to do. Like it felt right. And it, you know, it, it's given me a lot, but then I guess over time I realized that it can't actually be everything. And you do have to have things, you know, you have to, you have to um, have things outside of that to really live, you know, a complete life, you know, because um, I think otherwise you just get frustrated, you know, if, you, if you're expecting this one career, this one profession to give you everything to satisfy all of your needs as a yeah. person, uh, 
you know, you're, you're bound to get frustrated. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, I agree. I feel like our lives are so holistic. And a lot of my own personal journey is mm-hmm. a large portion of my life. I fell victim to the idea that I had to perform and, <clears throat> excuse me, entirely. <laughs> my voice is still a little cracky. I had to perform and earn love and approval and acceptance for everyone. So I fell into that that trap of needing to work hard and to and now get don't get me wrong working hard is good and it's important but not at the expense of that becoming your identity and especially over here in the states when when you have small talk with someone it's what do you do it's never how in the how are you is very very surface level but then it's what do you do and it's almost like we've tied our identity into our career And then you find something like the pandemic where literally everyone and their mom has to stay at home and do nothing. So you no longer do what you identify as. So then you're stuck in this place. And for me, I I went through a whole like transformation in itself during the pandemic, realizing, realizing again who I was outside of what I did. And even before that, like, I mean, I had a 10 year rap career where I felt like I'm, I'm a man of faith and I felt like God was leading me out of rap. And that was a big thing for me because I identified like Chance the Rapper. That's how I felt like he's Chance the Rapper. I felt like I was like redone the rapper. That was my rap name. And I had to go through this whole like like rediscovery of who I was without doing the thing. And I feel like that's such an important thing that a lot of people miss. But to circle back to what you said and really stuck out to me was this idea that words carry weight. And you mentioned how those words from when you were this young person dealing with this life changing, altering event of this brain tumor, it took one throwaway sentence for you to like be in sheer like panic mode, hoping that you would get to a certain destination. And now you kind of in the other position are able to really uplift people and to show them that it's, it's so much more than what's going on and they can overcome it. And I think that's beautiful. And I think we need more people like you in that space for sure. Cause I know that uh, younger, you probably would say the same thing. Like you brought chocolates to that person because it was such a meaningful thing. And I, and I think that's so, so encouraging, but, but I'm curious, I don't want to take too much more time because obviously it's I've we've got some other things that we have to do, but I've really enjoyed the conversation so far. I I want to pivot. I have one one more, a couple more questions for you. We'll get to to one of these in a minute. I'm excited because I started a new section. Well, I'll explain that one when we get here. But before that, um, obviously you're on Twitter. You're on a few other things. I'll be sure to get your your info so I can put in the show notes so those listening and watching, they can connect with you. But if you want to take a moment and kind of share where people can connect with you. So I think the main way that I'm sharing at the minute is on Twitter. So if you follow me, up, uh, uh, so that's kind of where I found kind of my voice. I think it's where I find I found expression. I think coming back on, coming back onto Twitter is really uh, reignited uh, a love for writing, which I'd lost. Like I, I remember like back in back in like high school, you used to write poetry and stuff, right? Then I stopped, didn't do that for like years, and then now all of a sudden I'm back writing, and that's been a kind of therapy in its own way. So like, if you want to see kind of like me kind of expressing myself raw, that's kind of where I do it, and that's where I'm doing everything at the moment. But that's really what I'm putting my energy into. That's awesome. I love that. And there's something to be said too. I, a lot of my 
viewers and listeners are content creators as well. And I think that's an important tip in itself. You did, probably didn't realize you just gave a tip, but but I heard it. And it's that idea of if you can put all of your focus <laughs> into one space for, for instance, for you, it's Twitter. And, and it's really easy to see the shiny objects. Now, I understand having... <laughs> Having multiple passions is important, like I and not important, but like it's possible. But the thing is, if you could focus on X or Twitter or whatever we're calling it these days, if you could focus on Instagram or TikTok, whatever it may be that you could focus on for an extended amount of time, you will see growth. Like for me, I focused on TikTok for like a year. I started at zero. I made three videos a day for over a year. And over that time, what happened was I got a lot more comfortable on camera. Now now you see we're having these conversations and it's like nothing. Now, the first time I was on camera, I was terrified and it just flows out. But I say like if you're able to commit yourself to one specific thing and, and fall in love with the process of it, because a lot of times we as creators, we as people in general, we get so focused on the end result that it's very easy for us to be like, oh, I'm never going to get there. I've got two followers. <laughs> I've got 10 followers. I want thousands and hundreds of thousands. But if you could fall in love with building the connections with people, if you could fall in love with the process of it, like you said, writing has became therapy for you. And I think that's beautiful. And, and while doing that, you've already succeeded, right? It's like you could have no one read it or you could have 100,000, a million people read it. And either way, you would be satisfied because you already got what you needed from it. And I think that a lot of times when it comes to us people that consider ourselves creative, I think it was Will I Am, he said it in a podcast, and he was like, if you're a true creator, you're not so focused on other people's opinion of creating. Well, how did he put it? He was like, it's like throwing up. <laughs> He's like, you, you have to, and it sounds like such a gross metaphor, but it's so true. It's like, it's got to come out of you. And I feel like that that's how it is with a lot of us that consider ourselves creative people. And even entrepreneurs, I feel like you've got to get it, get it out. Like when you've been given something inside of you that like you're so passionate about, you've got to get it out there because if you keep it inside, it's only going to eat you, eat you up inside. So, so it's super interesting to to hear that, but yeah, to go off that tangent and a little bit more to that practicality of it. Yeah, if you you listening at home, if you're looking for a practical something from today's podcast, I would say is find what makes you come alive most and what makes you feel like you have a voice. Like for instance, Ahab, he found that his voice, his therapy is Twitter. So he's running with it. And I and I encourage you at home to to find that and do the same. Now as we we sort of begin to land the plane for today uh, i i have two questions okay i have three questions for you i lied <laughs> three questions um with the first one being so I, I i always enjoy asking this question because i feel like it and i feel like with you having a unique perspective of survival and death i feel like you're going to give a great answer so you're at the end of your life that's that we'll picture this you're at the end of your life. You've accomplished the things you want to accomplish. You've got the family if you want the family. You've got all the things that you wanted to do and then some. And you're on your deathbed. What do you want to be remembered for, Ahab? What do you want to be remembered for? That's a really, really good one. I think what I'd want to be remembered for is just the feeling that you brought, right? And I think that's what resonates. Um, 
I think when people think back, when you think back, when you, you know, think back to anybody, I think you always, you always go back to that feeling that you felt with them. Uh, so I think that's why I'd want to be remembered, how I made other people feel. So good. Now, this next question is, I like to flip it. So me being the man full of questions for my guest, I like to, while, while getting towards the end, I like to ask my guest, do you have any questions for me? I need to hear about a drop career. Man. <laughs> Dang it. I thought I was going to sneak by that. Yeah. What, what would you like to hear about it? Just, I guess. The that, story. Like you said, you said that you're a man of God. You're active with the church. You, I know you do music, so you play drums. So sure. how does it? Where did it all kind of fit into you? Like, where, where, where did, what, yeah, what was that for you? What was the, what, explain sure. that journey to me. So, so I was even thinking about this the other day. So I, I don't know if grade levels translate everywhere, but for me, so middle school, so like seventh grade, I don't know if seventh grade makes sense for the UK, but before high school, before uni, so like the. I think I was probably like 13 or 14 years old, 15 maybe. No, I wasn't even 15. I was probably 13. I, I was in an art class. <laughs> so I started taking art art as an elective in school because you can take like different non-academic like classes in school in U.S. So I started taking art and I was in an art class and I had a super cool teacher named Ms. Holt and she would let us listen to the radio. So... I, I came from like listening to emo music, alternative rock. That's kind of where I was at in that time. Some country, because my family listened to country. Not a fan of country now. But and we were listening to the radio, and this guy that was in my class put it on a hip-hop station. And I'm in Texas, so like even, even the subculture of hip-hop there is like Southern rap, like Bun B. Little Wayne was like really fresh on the scene kind of thing. So I, I heard rap for the first time around the, around that time. And whatever it was, I was just like, at first, I, I didn't like it. It was funny. And the reason I didn't like it was because it was almost forced on me because the guy in the class was kind of like the bully. And he was like, we're going to listen to rap, nothing else. And he was like, at one point, he even like threatened me to not change the station. It was, it was a story in itself. But like, for whatever reason, the more I heard it, it just, it felt like an, an escape for me. And that's the best way that I could describe it. Cause at the time, like we wouldn't, my, my family's great, but you know, a, a, all fam, families have their, their bickering and their arguments. And when you're that young, like you're really impressionable. And for me, like it was a way that if I put on my headphones, I could go somewhere else. And when I gravitated towards like Lil Wayne and then a little bit later on Drake and like these and Eminem even like, and it was the wordplay for me. It was the wordplay. It was the, the visual imagery that their lyrics brought to me. That's what I fell in love with. And just the culture of hip hop break dancing. There was a time that I would break dance with a, a little crew of mine. So I, I really like push, put myself all the way in hip-hop and it's funny I, I like to say that hip-hop raised me but it also ultimately saved me because there's there's christian hip-hop as well and it's actually really good not what you would expect and i remember actually hearing some of that a little bit later in this love of hip-hop and being like whoa like there's there's this faith in god aspect that you can bring to hip-hop and it was such such a foreign thing to me and long story short, I started, I wrote my first rap in 2008. And again, I, got, I started rapping because it was an escape for me. 
because at, 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 at some point we moved cities and when we moved cities my mom was like super protective of me so she was like you're not gonna go out so I was like all I had was after school was a, a little beat up laptop and this free software to record a song so I was like man if I can't go out I might as well be productive and cool I'll, I'll write my own rap and that's kind of where it started and I just fell in love with the the process of making music and writing raps and rapping. I rapped for a while. I did a few shows here and there, random things as I got older. And at some point, the, that Christian rap had planted this seed of faith in me. And we were we were kind of in church, kind of not in church. And then right after I graduated high school, I went through like a fairly serious breakup. And I was like, "This is the end of my life." Like. <laughs> You're so dramatic at that time, but like I was extra dramatic. And then a friend of mine invited me to a church and they had this like block party, I guess you could say. And it was really strange. I was like, churches have block parties? Like, what is this life? And there was a rapper performing at it. And like, when I tell you I felt the spirit of God <laughs> through his rap, I it was amazing. And I was like, this is... I, I want to do this. So I kind of like shifted and I started making Christian rap myself. And like, I, I, start, I got, I got saved. I, I believed in Jesus Christ, this whole like radical transformation in my life. And then it began this whole journey within itself that it is now. But, but yeah, like, and it's, it's crazy. Cause it's like hip hop raised me because it was like my escape and where I could like find who I was. And then it became my identity. And then like I found I found God through it essentially. And then yeah, it saved me too. And and I still have a special place for hip hop. Like I, I still love some of the classics and even some of the newer stuff. It's it's such a special thing to me. But me personally rapping, I, I don't I don't really rap as far as writing rap and taking it as a career anymore. Cause it was one of those things like I had to find the identity outside of it. But but yeah, I Man, it's such a such a fun, fun time. It was such a fun season for sure. Sounds amazing, and and I really resonate with what you said there. You know, about finding kind of identity outside of, like when I was in when I was in high school, I was I became a fan of acting, and like so we used to have like our drama classes. So I'd be there. I used to I for a time I actually got really good because I okay. spent all my time in there. Like that was my space where I could just like create something completely different. And it was kind of weird because I think now when I look back, I was really enjoying being somebody else. Like I could take you to the nth degree, you know, I could really dive into somebody else's shoes, recreate them, like with all the different like movements of my face or like how I look at my voice and all those kinds of things. But then, yeah, really since then, it's been the process of actually just be comfortable people, just like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, what you said there, like really, that really hit. Yeah. It's so good. And I agree. Like I can remember being that kid that wanted to be a chameleon because it was yeah. like I could because for me when I was especially in middle school like everyone's trying to figure out who they are and I didn't want to be who I was <laughs> like I was like I want to be every everything because I, I was just so universal with my friend groups and I, I never understood it either because I was like why can't the country people be friends with the sporty people be friends with the the emo people because <laughs> it was just very in in that space you really had to pick a lane like it wasn't like now where I feel like you can be so 
so broad spectrum. And for me, I was like, I would just like shape shift into everything that I could be to the point where everyone was like, oh, you're a poser. And that was a big, big form of <laughs> people were like, you got to pick a place. And I'm like, man, I can't do that. But again, it's like you said, it's like I could go to the nth degree and like fully become a character. And it was so interesting because it took years to realize, but who is, who am I? What is my true character? And it was so interesting to see. But I have one more question for you. And I actually need to pull it up on here. So I, I got a new segment. <laughs> I'm really excited about this. I, I just started it with the last one I recorded yesterday. So, and and you'll get to ask a question as well. So I, I got inspired by Diary of a CEO. It's another podcast out there. Dude's amazing. And he ends with asking a question from the previous guest. So I have a question from the previous guest. Question that I would have for your next guest is, how do you keep confidence consistent? So I think it starts with being comfortable being vulnerable. So I think you can only have absolute stability when you're absolutely comfortable being vulnerable, right? Because if you're trying to hold on to anything, if that thing gets taken away from you, you're not going to be, you're not going to have that confidence anymore. So you have to be a hundred percent confident being vulnerable and then you can't be shaken. Right. If you're standing, then that, that would be my answer to that. Man, that's so good. I love that. And I agree. One, one big pillar of what I say with a lot of my clients and a lot of this podcast is vulnerability is our super strength. It's our superpower. And especially men, because I feel like that's another area that I, I feel very strongly about is helping men see that they can both be tough and tender and they can be men, but also embrace the vulnerability of sharing the emotions that we, we go through. So yeah, that's, that's so good. I, I love that answer. But with that, so now you get to ask a question for whoever my next guest will be. I think it's going to be the heart of it. So I can ask whatever I want. Anything. Yeah, it could be anything. It could be silly. It could be serious. It could be whatever. Okay. So my question is going to be... Was that not a fire conversation? I know you were going to leave better than before you tuned into it. And if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to hit the subscribe button on screen. And if you want to continue watching more inspiring and encouraging content you can click here if you really got something out of this or if you have any feedback so that we can make this show even better don't hesitate drop a comment below as always thank you and i look forward to seeing you again soon